day, we are back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call and we're going to talk about equities. Um, we are a small team right now, so uh, I'll be doing this podcast alone. Uh, typically, we do it in a conversational format, so we are two people talking on the podcast, but uh, that was not possible today, so I will take you through the three points to observe in equities in the, in the week to come. I, you know, the first thing we're going to talk about are the recent IPOs in the market, Instacart and Arm. We're going to talk about the low volatility in U.S. equities, and then we're going to talk about next week's earnings, which could become pretty interesting uh, depending on your taste, of course. If we start with the IPOs, we've had Instacart and Arm uh, shares being listed. We had Instacart trading at uh, first day of trading uh, yesterday. Uh, the shares were up forty percent. On the open compared to the IPO price and then it basically just declined throughout the session down 20% so for those that are not familiar with Instacart and if you're not living in the US you might never have heard about it but it's an online US online grocery store it generates its revenue from transaction fees subscriptions advertising advertising is really one of those revenue um, revenue businesses that it's, it's really trying to uh, to increase because if you're an online grocery a store like Instacart, you're basically building up a vast distribution network, and you know a lot of a lot of and you have a lot of data point data points on your uh, on your customers, and that is valuable to other brands or companies that want to sell on your network. So that's increasingly a bigger part of the business. Um, what we have to remember as well is that Instacart, it you know online grocery uh, shopping will have a ceiling on growth, which is most likely going to be lower than other e-commerce categories. There's still this physical niceness if you want to go out and do grocery shopping. Not for all things, and online will grow, but overall, grocery shopping in the US and in many mature market is a low growth and it's a low margin business. And that's obviously where the advertising comes into into the picture. But, you know, advertising has is also you know store promotion is a different word for it in the physical stores it's always been around it's a way to expand your uh, your margins i really like uh, reading a lot of things from aswath uh, damodaran which is a new york university finance professor and he he identified some red flags about instacart that i really want you to to think about so first of all very bloated ipo prospectus 400 pages that's a lot then um, it also mentioned artificial intelligence 32 times in that prospect, despite, well, maybe can it can change some things around the business, but certainly it's not the thing that's going to move the needle, especially not against the competition. And then it did the uh, the, the sinful thing of adding back stock-based compensation. So the quick guide for why that's, you know, quote-unquote illegal to add back stock-based compensation if you really care about analyzing the business is and, and that's by the way how they come with these adjusted EBDA and that's because they add back a lot of different things but one of them being the stock-based compensation the key point is that if you're a startup company and it's regardless in Europe or in the US or whatever wherever in the world if you use a lot of stock-based compensation it makes your cash flows look more uh, better and more rich because it's uh, you basically lending from the future and giving this value to your your um to your employees through these options. Um, the key the key point here is that it creates an artificial 
cash operating expense level at the company because if it was not able to give all these stock options and were to compensate its employees on a cash level, then the value of those stock options would be the market clearing price for that cash operating expense to wages. So that's not a good thing. And then it basically also, according to Damodran, ignores a lot of, uh, of its shares in its share class when it counts the number of shares. So a lot of red flags, I think, for the Instacart uh, IPO and the business there. And then ARM had a very successful IPO last week. We talked about it on the podcast. Um, it traded as much as 35% higher from the uh, IPO price, and that was on the second day of trading. And then since that peak, we're down 20%, and we were down yesterday as well. Um, and we actually had the lowest closing since the IPO yesterday. And as I said, we I talked to, you know, when we had the podcast where we previewed the ARM IPO, we called it AI washing. And Oscar Bernhansen and I were talking about, you know, the very high valuation. And just to reiterate, so if you, if you bought ARM shares or you're considering it, please take into account the fact that you're actually right now paying 50 times uh, enterprise value, so that's the market value of the company plus the net debt to the operating profit. And the operating profit here in this case is the EBDA. Uh, there are different ways you can do that, but in this case, 50 times EV to EBDA. Just for perspective, that's more than three times the NASDAQ 100, which is a group and collection of very solid, above average growing companies. And to make the comparison even better, um, it compares to NVIDIA's same multiple, but at 30 times that multiple. Um, so 30 times enterprise value to EBDA for NVIDIA. Um, I, I think the ARM, I think the ARM valuation is stretched, and I think that it's going to be tested in the uh, the weeks uh, ahead. We're going to talk a little bit about volatility because the VIX index is quite low at the at the moment. It has been around hovering around 14 for quite some time. The forward curve on VIX futures um, has a you know has a shape that forward curve has a shape it's in contango which is typically a sign that the you know the options market is very calm about what what is happening and if you look at the realized volatility there was a one measure is basically you're measuring how many days the market has been in a current in a state where it moves less than x percentage and um, depending on where you put the threshold you can actually come up with a, a measure where realized volatility right now in the equity market has been so low at such an extended period we haven't seen anything like this since 2018 and that type of compressed volatility in equities is something we have seen a couple of many times actually uh, i've been with saxo for 13 years i've seen my fair share of these periods where volatility really get crushed this of course is nothing like 2017 which was the ultimate where we, i think we had an average um realized volatility across all asset classes at one point i think it was under 10 percent annualized which is just basically unheard of and it was the lead up or the run up to that big uh, volatility Armageddon event, which was in February 2018, where a couple of uh, VIX ETNs in the US market blew up. It was a big mayhem there. So when we have this compressed volatility, it's often a good time to think about potentially putting in some hedges. You can do that with the options, you can do it with futures. There's a lot of different options. Um, another way of doing it is that if you only have an equity portfolio, it's maybe it's worth considering adding some bonds at these current levels you, you know the current interest rates level as LTS Binazzi our fixed income strategists have talked about is that we've, re we've reached in, uh, interest rate levels where the carry on those bond portfolios are now so high that it offsets 
uh, you know, a meaningful increase from here in interest rates, unless we get an interest rate shock that is very compressed in time. But you know, just for perspective, during the 70s when we had galloping inflation and and galloping interest rates, the uh, key benchmark index on long-dated U.S. Treasury bonds actually rose in nominal terms over that entire period with very you know benign drawdowns. So. Um, what could trigger a potential event and, 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 and unleash this compressed energy in the equity market? Well, I think the two main uh, risk factors uh, out there are risk sources. One, an economic slowdown, the fiscal U.S. fiscal cycle uh, turning around could be one. You know, the consumer and, and more f com companies are refinancing uh, slowly over time at higher financing needs. It, it creates some cracks in the global economy. That's one event that could suddenly unleash a, a risk sentiment change in the market. The other one is, uh, I'm referring to an FT article the other day, it's a liquidity event in the U.S. Treasury market. The BIS, the Bank of International Settlement, which is basically the umbrella organization, for global central banks warned of this record potentially record shorting of especially us two-year notes but as all they have shown in some of his latest research notes when he goes through the uh, the uh, some uh, the, the different reports on uh, positioning in the futures market you can see that there is a considerable shorting across the entire curve in the us this is focusing on the two-year. They do that, of course, from a policy perspective because at the short end of the yield curve, that is where you have the most liquidity. It's where the most outstanding uh, treasuries are located. So, and the reason why it's heavily short is that we, a lot of hedge funds are executing what is called basis trades, where you can exploit a difference between the price of physical treasuries and then the equivalent bond futures. And often these mispricings are very, very small. But if you have the right uh, computing infrastructure and execution infrastructure, you can capture those small spreads. But to make it a profitable business in, in the bigger grand scheme of things, you need to deploy a lot of leverage. And basically, uh, regulators and policymakers are worried that under you know, get, you know, the right set of conditions, you could see a blow up in in the treasury markets and as we saw with the blow up in the guild market we also had the treasury market back in the early days of the pandemic these type of blow ups and also the banking crisis this year the, it, it sort of uh, evaporates through the different parts of the financial market and that could be an event that could trigger some some volatility in equities okay we're going to talk about earnings next week the three earnings you should have you know write down on your on your notepad or on your computer and have on your watch list a micron technology, H&M, uh, and Nike. If we start with micron technology, they report on Wednesday after the U.S. market has closed. Uh, analysts are still extremely negative on the company. They expect a third consecutive negative gro uh, growth margin and revenue down 41%. The memory chip market is still working through inventory. There's a huge overhang of production, um, you know, because of the low demand from consumer electronics. This is really an ugly market, but you know stabilization has set in and the expectation is for the coming quarters for things to improve but to you know to get any guidance on where businesses like apple and other consumer companies uh, within the electronics consumer electronics are headed uh, micron technology is often a very good uh, gauge for exactly that the other company we want to highlight as i said was h&m h&m is the swedish based uh, fast fashion retailer and some would argue Peter, it's not fast uh, retailing any longer. We have Shane from from China. You can even argue that Inditex with its Sarah brands have even faster, but it's still categorized as a fast fashion retailer. Big turnover. H&M has been through a terrible period where they 
together with Inditex, have been extremely slow of adopting and building out their online business. Shane have come in from China, you know, uh, exploiting, I would say, some gaps in the regulatory framework we have here in Europe, in the US, and massively grabbed market shares. So H&M and Inditex have been under pressure for some time. H&M will report on Wednesday before the European market opens, um, and analysts are expecting a revenue growth rate of 8%. So that's an improvement from the prior quarter. Uh, and they also expect in another quarter of operating profits EBDA above 10 billion Swedish krona. So things are improving a little bit here for, for H&M. And you would think that stagflation risk in the economy and you know consumers being more under pressure would feed into you know, more tailwinds for uh, low-cost retailers, uh, fashion feet retailers like H&M. So we'll have a watch on that. And especially also with the decline in economic activity in Europe, there's a lot of talk about you know, stagflation risk in, in, in Europe. So we'll, you know, have that on your watch list and, and watch that if you're, if you're investing in European equities. And then on Thursday, Nike reports after the US market closed, and that was on Thursday, analysts are expecting revenue growth to decline further to only 2% year a year. The key focus is on the operating margin and, and growth margin because that has really been the strength of Nike, their ability to be nimble on the cost side and actually preserve those margins under declining revenue growth rates. So uh, that will be a key focus point as well. And I think especially the potential upside catalyst is that you know there isn't this negative headlines rolling all over the place on China, which for good reasons. But we have to be uh, clear when we talk about China that a lot of the weakness in China obviously is the 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 weakness we have in the financial and the real estate sector and the manufacturing sector because of inflation in the developed world we uh, consume more in nominal dollars and euros but we consume less in physical goods because that's what inflation does it creates that wedge and that means that the uh, factory utilization rates in China are quite low. And I've been mentioning as well the car industry. A lot of people are touting uh, China's success in the car industry as a big victory. But keep in mind, they're only utilizing 55% of their car uh, factory capacity, which is often not a very good sign. And, a, and I think a sign that they are heavily subsidizing production because that is not something that would make sense under market-based uh, market uh, rule set. Or precious, if you will. Um, so, but what we have seen in, in China is actually that the consumer is actually doing okay. Okay, a lot of the consumer stocks have surprised to the upside. So here maybe lies the upside potential for Nike against those analyst estimates that are, I would say, um, a low a low bar of expectation, a little bit depressed to uh, to an extent. So, um, so that's the that's the key focus there for uh, for Nike. So, I think with that. That's a wrap for uh, for today's equity podcast, and um, hopefully I will have Oli in the studio tomorrow. We'll talk about commodities. A lot of things are going on in the commodities, but for now on equities, focus on the three things. Uh, focus on the IPO stocks, also as a source of potential change in the risk sentiment. Focus on that low volatility in U.S. equities. Thinking about putting any hedges on, whether it's futures options or even adding bonds to your equity portfolio. And then finally, watch out for those earnings next week from Micron Technology, H&M, and Nike. Thanks for listening.